It's time for Tales of Terror, only on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Broken Sea Audio Productions presents The Hunt by Paul Mannering. In these, the twilight days of my life, I find myself gripped by a morbid necessity to unburden my soul of the sins of the past. The priest, to whom I confessed but a scant summary of the atrocities that I am here going to relate, has begged that I throw myself upon the mercy of God. I pray that perhaps, by recording this memoir of that time, that others may learn from the terrible immorality of my life and find their own steps guided away from the shadow that lies across men's souls and that they may avoid my eternal damnation. I have witnessed horrors that are surely beyond forgiveness, even to the most benign deity. It was in April of the year of our Lord, 1799. Oh, surely there are no tastes which are unwholesome. In his omnipotence gave his blessed creation freedom and delight. What better instruction to taste the fruit of their flesh? <laughs> Your philosophy would make a bohemian blush, my dear. But I must concur. The fairest fruit of Eden's grove would be as ashes compared to the delight of your barely contained cornucopia. It is a curse of this modern age that we should be so bound. The corset is an invention of a cruel mind. Here, unfasten these stays so that I may breathe fully of the sweet air of this beautiful day. With great delight, my love. The pool beyond is secluded and entirely refreshing. I will follow whither you lead. Oh, that chills to the core, but it does but stoke the inner fire. Come to me, my love. We had been married but four months. Having wintered in great contentment in a Swiss retreat, oblivious to the world beyond the well-provided quarters we found ourselves in. In the manner of beasts we had slept, rising only to consummate the holy union of blessed marriage, until we were exhausted and fell into slumber where we lay. I had never known a lady of her like, the fairest form, the brightest eye, and possessed of a demure countenance that betrayed the physical prowess and insatiable lusts that burst from her when we were alone. 
As a young man, I was raptured in delight. My love for my bride was such that I could see no evil in her, no oddity in her total abandonment of all propriety, manners that so shaped our society in those years. After an exhausting eight weeks of grave education and the loss of all innocence, we returned to take up house at my family estate near Lark's Bridge, an ancestral home encompassing village, farm, and forest dark and primordial. I was proud to take on my role as the lord of the manor in the wake of my honored father's passing. All desire for the physical connection between man and woman has long left my body. It is only with a historian's detachment that I relate the details now. She was unbound, a beast of passion and delight. There, in this secluded pool, we loved until morning had become the noon and we lay spent on the smooth rocks and warmed ourselves like well-fed lizards. We should return to the house. Our guests are due this afternoon. How dull. Other old men and women in the skins of the young to sit and drink tea and make polite conversation. Ah, but I have a treat in store for you, my dear. Lord Mayfair and his entourage are coming. Lord Mayfair? Last year excommunicated by the Pope, and chastised by all moral-thinking men for his dissertations on the bestial nature of men's desires. Should I be shocked that you are so aware of his scandals? Scandal follows Mayfair's flies follow down. It should be a lively weekend. <laughs> Thank you for saving me from a slow death by suffocating boredom, my errant lord. Lord Arthur Mayfair, a name that is barely remembered outside of academia these days. I have read Wilkington's biography of the man, and though the biographer was astute and carefully weighed the evidence of the circumstances of Mayfair's death, he could never truly alight upon the truth of the matter. My dear Mayfair, delighted to see you. Hello, Markham. A fine house you have, and fine estates we rattled over on the journey here. I would like to introduce you to my lovely wife, Lord Mayfair, Lady Markham. Charmed. Good day, sir. You are most welcome in our house. And this is Clarice. A maiden of such purity that Milo had envisioned in his poor attempt at creating perfection in the Venus. Though I can assure you, her air of innocence is purely a charade. Come, my dear Clarice. Let us lead these men to their talk. My lord, I am honored to be here. 
I never thought I would see the day when you fell into line with society's demands, Markham. What ransom did you refuse to pay to have your independence so cruelly torn from you? <laughs> Not at all, Mayfair. Married life is its own reward. My bride is a fine specimen of ladylike nobility by day and an insatiable succubus by night. Only at night? My dear fellow, I grieve for your newfound abstinence. <laughs> I am not left wanting, I can assure you. Now tell me more about this Clarice. A master of charades, you say? Indeed. One of my father's bastard offspring. Raised by her mother's family after her death. She has ripened well in the warmth of their sensibilities. But the core of this fruit is rich and dark as the soul of the one who spawned her. But you are connected by blood? And what of it? She had already made me her latest trophy before I discovered her parentage. I would dare any noble family to accuse me of impropriety when they marry their cousins, and sisters are traded as broodmares. You continue to push the boundaries of good taste, Mayfair. Civilized behavior is but a farce. Men think and act in two different ways. Only the restraints of our cultured ways prevent us from truly saying what we think and feel. Which is indeed what separates us from the lower beasts. Nonsense. The beasts of the field are honest and pure. We lie and practice deceit behind our powdered faces and wigs. There is hope for man as long as some are intent on good works. What good works? The priests steal from the poor and grow fat on the fear of their flock. The wolf, at least, only takes enough to satisfy his immediate hunger. To truly become closer to whatever force is lord of creation, man must shed his current skin and return to a pure state. Chapter 7. Ha! Huh. Of course you have read my treatise. Yes, and I hear it has been condemned in the House of Lords. And demand for it, since that apoplectic speech by the Earl of Darlington has outstripped the capacity for production by the printer. You do not seriously adhere to this ideal of a return to a more natural state? Of course. As a philosophy, it encourages purity of thought and acceptance of the natural order of things. Take, for example, the legends of children raised by wolves and other beasts. They are strong and completely free of the shackles of the civilized world. It is only when we draw them out of their natural state, dress them, force them to eat with fork and spoon, and attempt to educate them that they grow sick and die. For a number of reasons they are lost children. It is with the best intention that they are taken into care and nourished and brought back into the fold of God's children. And does not God love all his children, even those whose manger was a wolf's den? Yet Romulus and Remus founded the greatest city of the ancient world. Suckled by the she-wolf, they went on to form civilization in its earliest incarnation. The Rome you speak of was not what was intended. Those two had strength and cunning. They were great warriors, which attracted others to them. This is what made the city, not their own desire. They would have lived wild if allowed. And what chaos and disorder would the world be in now if history had followed your preferred course? 
a delightful state indeed. The gathering of society's finest at my ancestral home was for the hunt. Men on horses led by dogs in pursuit of quarry. Be it fox or rabbit, or more rarely those days one of the last wild wolves to roam the woods. It was the last sporting hunt that I ever took part in and no such event habit has ever taken place on the estate since. Will you come to bed, my lord? Soon, my dear. These letters need to be finished. You will strain your eyes writing by the moonlight. Let me light candles for you. No need, my sweet. The glow through the window is more than sufficient to illuminate instructions to bankers. Love poetry would be more suited to being composed in such ethereal light. Lyrical renditions of passion unbound, of sweet caresses, and honeydew secretions upon trembling skin. You are delightfully distracting. I simply covet your attention, my love. Away with you! I will be along presently. I shall prepare myself for your arrival. Movement beyond the glass caught my attention. A lighter shadow against the silver glow of the full moon's wash swept past on the edge of the cultured lawn below. I rose from my chair and pressed myself to the window, fumbling for its catch and opening the pane wide to see more clearly. A shape, not man, yet not dog, slipped into the deeper darkness. If it travelled on all fours, I could barely guess. It made great speed with a loping stride, head low and forelimbs reaching, while rear legs drove forward. The vision lasted the merest instant, and the creature vanished into the woods, leaving me stunned and perplexed. I closed the window and retired to my bedchamber, and my sweet bride brought poetry to life for the last time. Crookshank, is all in readiness for the day's hunt? Indeed, my lord. The dogs are ready, and I've had report of fox four in the woodland. Thank you, Crookshank. Where is Lord Mayfair? I inquired of him before dawn, sir. Lord Mayfair requests that I pass on his apologies. He will not be joining the hunt this morning, but asked that I pass on his encouragement. For much chaos and disorder to be wrought upon nature, my lord. And so we shall, Crookshank. So we shall. You may sound the horn. We rode out that morning. 
a dozen of us in regal finery, and a pack of dogs bred for their tracking ability and their ferocity against any foe. Beaters and woodsmen were working the woodland undergrowth and fallow fields of the estate, driving any quarry into our path. The hunt was an intense affair, and in reckless pursuit of an unseen fox or hare, it was common for a rider to be unhorsed. Such an accident was widely accepted as a contributing cause of my own father's ill health and subsequent demise. My bride approached the hunt with the same delighted and determined passion that she approached all matters of the flesh. She rode beside me, her face alight with excitement, as she kept pace with the swiftest horses and men. The pack has the scent, my lord. Right on! Ha-ha! The path taken by the hunting pack led us along a familiar trail. Through the dark heart of ancient forest, across the stream that poured from a clear pond where we had cavorted in the warm morning sun the day before, and up a steep clay bank upon the other side, and plunging on into emerald shadows of the woods beyond. To my left, a fellow was unseated at full gallop, swept from the saddle by a low branch, as one would brush a crumb from a coat sleeve. We did not stop. The blood was upon us, and the dogs were in full cry. So it was that we soon lost sight of our companions. And only Crookshank, my bride, and I were still in the hunt. Stay on your horse, milady. If it be a wild boar, then you will not be safer for... Crookshank, pass me a musket. Yes, sir. Primed and ready, my lord. We rode on, slowly now, picking our way into a copse that the dogs had blundered into. The screams of the dogs had ceased. The silence roared in their stead. Oh no! Those poor brutes! Crookshank, what did this? A boar, perhaps, my lord, or a wolf. But the hunting pack is more than a match for any beast in these parts. This is the devil's own work. He spoke some truth, for the scene was a vision of Dante's own. Torn and broken bodies of the dogs littered a patch of disturbed ground. Blood had splashed on tree and stone. There was no sign or sound of their assassin, only the buzz of flies already alighting on their feast. 
Gather the men. See that the dogs are buried here. Lay poison on the remains. Set a man armed with musket, boar, spear, and horn in that oak tree. Have him shoot to kill whatever beast returns to this spot, and sound his horn when it is done. Of course, my lord. I will see to it at once. Come, my dear. I must take you away from this dreadful spot. We paused only long enough for me to lift the injured dog onto my saddle, and with the animal in turn shuddering and lying limp across my lap, we made our way slowly back till we heard the casual chatter of our less frantic companions. Now I'd say a sport of pheasant shooting is more sport than this. Huh. Bashad's arm is broken. Anyone else care for more brandy? Pulling up lame for certain. Gentlemen, I apologize for the lack of excitement in this morning's hunt. I would ask that you all follow my fellow back into the house. I would apprise you of the entire situation in detail at that time. Rather full show. What? I say, Markham, your dog looks nearly done for. Anyone else care for more brandy? We returned to the imagined sanctuary of the house. My guests made themselves comfortable with food and drink. It was agreed that in the afternoon they would partake of the other pleasure my estate offered. The pheasant shoot. Markham, back so soon. Your thirst for vengeance against the hare and fox sated already. Not at all, Mayfair. I would speak with you alone. Your countenance is grim, my friend. Tell me, what is concerning you? I recounted the details of the morning's hunt, and Mayfair listened with an intensity that gave strength to my faith that he would be an ally in finding the beast responsible. There was no sign of the creature... No trail or mark of its passing. Nothing but the blood and corpses of my dogs. I see. You have a new quarry, then. A predator with skill and wit that draws you into the hunt. I will instruct the gamekeeper to organize a search party. They will flush out this beast and shoot it. Markham, you have more honor than that. This creature has slain your dogs, shamed you in the act of hunting. It is challenging you to face it. And yet, I feel no desire to do so. Wisdom is cowardice in times such as this. You should embrace your true essence. Cast off the cowl of civilization and arm yourself against this beast. You will truly live when you hunt in this way. It is a serious matter, Mayfair, not a parlor game. The beast is dangerous. Indeed. And have you not ever wished that you, too, could be dangerous? I... Exactly. We will go tonight. I will accompany you, as your second, as it were. My guests were not pleased to have their outing cut short. I had them placated with brandy and promises of a grand party once the matter of the slain dogs had been resolved. None among them protested an invitation to join the hunt. Looking back now, I see them as they truly were. Soft, pallid, dough-like flesh. Destined to never be baked in the harsh oven of life's true horrors. 
alone before twilight. Mayfair, Clarice, my lady and myself were in good spirits, buoyed by a combination of absinthe and opiates. They say each man has an animal spirit that walks with them. And woman? Of course. The animal spirit, a totem they call it, walks with the female as well. Mayfair is very fond of the female, as he calls it. I admire the strength of females. It is the lioness on the African grasslands who hunts to provide for her cubs, the she-wolf who nurtures and kills for hers. Men have no purpose but to sow the seed of new life in the fertile ground. <laughs> I do believe, sir, that you just compared us with a field. Indeed, my dear. A luxurious meadow, heady with the scent of spring flowers and grass so rich and verdant that you can hear it growing. Oh. I partook of the emerald liquid and the other substances that Mayfair generously provided. He had a pharmacopoeia of herbs and fungi, all of which he declared would open the mind to new experiences. The waking dream that followed haunts me still. Markham, where are you going? The party is here. <laughs> I have much on my mind, Mayfair. I shall take some night air and return presently. The night was clear and the moon full. I have always considered myself an educated man and free of the whimsy and ignorance of superstition. But I could not help feeling that the silver disk that glowed overhead was somehow a portent of unease. I paced up and down the well-tended grass, treading across the croquet lawn and along the edges of the gardens. I did not venture into the darkness of the woods, though my head swam and danced with the absinthe's caress. I felt surer of myself an hour later when I returned to the house. The drawing room was empty. Only the shrinking fire glowed in the hearth. I made my way carefully upstairs. Each step a drumbeat and a harp-soft note that carried me on eldritch music. My bedchamber was empty. I felt a vague disquiet that the opiate salved to a mere curiosity. Down the hall, the door to the guest room was ajar. I approached, nearly silent on the thick carpet. Moonlight, sharp as a silver spear, pierced the window and cut through shadows. I saw Clarice, her body naked and arched in welcome upon the bed, 
is my lady, that insatiable creature of physical passion, equally bare, crouched on hands and knees as she ministrated upon the flesh of Mayfair's half-sister, with inflamed lips and quivering fingers. My body stirred and arousal at this unique vision. Then, across the border of shadow and moonlight, Mayfair moved forward. He was behind the coupling sapphic pair, and his hide was as hirsute and terrible as the ladies were porcelain and delight. How this menage a trois had come about, I could not fathom. Mayfair entered my bride with a bestial growl, and she echoed his pleasure. I wanted to cry out, but in protest, in shock or in delight, I could not say. My throat was clenched shut, choked on the feeling of horror that rose as Mayfair rose against the buttocks of the woman before him. His face twisted, mouth opening, teeth bared and sharp. His form caught darkness, but not light. Thick hair that waved like black grass lay in a pelt across his shoulders, rose and quivered a bestial form migrated from somewhere beyond perception to just beneath his skin. And there it darkened the air around him and turned his eyes the color of urine and blood. Those animal eyes met mine and held me as he writhed against the woman who had vowed faithful monogamy. I did not feel the rage of the cuckolded husband. A cold knot of fear swelled in me as I faced something that I could not admit to understanding. The mesmeric gaze was broken, but Mayfair's progressive metamorphosis saw his fingers become tipped with claws that streaked the soft marble flesh under him with red. Stop! Unhand her, fiend! The creature sprang from her as I snatched an antique pike from the displayed suit of armor standing sentry in the hall beside me. I pursued the beast across the space of the chamber. The leapt through the window vanished into the night. <laughs> my love, attack me, my love. Please. <laughs> All is well now. I am here, and the beast is gone. But he has what he wants. The sacrifice has been made. Foul witch! What devilry have you brought upon us? No more than you deserve. My brother is yours. Birthed from the same womb. You into opulence and privilege. He into darkness and despair. My mother has been long dead, woman. You speak in riddles and lies. Do I? Did you know she had traveled in France? 
while your father attended to his business affair, she conducted an affair of her own. Falling pregnant to her home, she birthed her son in secret, and then abandoned him to the mercy of the woods where he had slipped from her deceitful loins. The blood attracted wolves which recognized him as one of their own, hated and abandoned by men. He was suckled and raised by them. The man you call Mayfair was a feral child until he was caught by peasants and given into the care of the Benedictines of St. Hubert's Monastery in the Ardennes where he was found. This is madness. This is power. A man free of the restraints of civilization, embracing the true nature of man's origins. But we went to school together. The university. Yes, the priest had dressed him well. A wolf in sheep's clothing indeed. He found out who you were and drew you close so as to better destroy you. But why? Does the wolf dream of being a man? Or the man dream of being a wolf? All I know is that Mayfair wanted vengeance on the family who abandoned him. Punished him for the sins of the whore. And yet he is vanquished. There is no revenge left for him to have. His vengeance is complete. The events of that day and night haunt me still. The twisted shape of Mayfair. Was it a play of shadow and drugs that gave an illusion of a horrific form? Had the culmination of his obsessive quest for revenge twisted his countenance into something not human? Or was he truly changed by the circumstances of his raising by the wolves of the French forests? The assault and the horror of that night cast a pall over our new marriage. My wife withdrew into herself and recoiled from my touch. Six months passed, and with each passing day, she slipped further from me. I spent my days and nights scouring the woodlands, seeking spoor or mark of the presence of Mayfair, always gripped with a paranoid surety that he watched gloating from the shadow of night-clad trees. Secrets can only be hidden for so long, and it became clear, even to my untrained eye, that she was with child. This, then, was the culmination of Mayfair's revenge. His offspring twisted and coiled in my wife's belly, a child that could not be human, could not be suffered to live. She did not resist me when it happened. I appeared before her, a woodsman's axe heavy in my hands. My bride looked into my eyes, and for the first time in half a year, I saw hope residing there. You have been listening to the Broken Sea audio production of The Hunt by Paul Mannering. Featured in the cast were Mark Kalita as Lord Markham, 
Douglas Lebetra as Lord Mayfair, Damaris Mannering as Lady Markham, Doug Manlin as Crookshank, Perry Whittle as the Nobleman, and M. Sierra Garcia, Robin Carlyle, and Natasha Lathrop appearing as Clarice. Music from podsafeaudio.com by the Brothers Femme, James Underberg, two violins. Additional music from magnatune.com. This audio production was directed and mixed by Paul Mannering for brokensea.com. <laughs>